Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. We've got a really good Figured Out Baseball podcast today that I've been looking forward to for quite some time. We've got a guest today that uh, I've been trying to find a, a common time where we could get on a podcast for quite some time, probably you know more than a year, but I uh, finally got him on here today. We're being joined by Descahe Bomberry, who's the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator, as well as the mental skills coach at Sacramento City College, a junior college in Sacramento, California, part of the CCCAA, which is the uh, California Community College Athletic Association. I'll give you a quick background on Coach Bomberry or, or Coach Bomber, as people that know him would call him. I'll give you a quick background on him before we get into questions. He is from Sacramento, California. He played his uh, college baseball at, see if I can pronounce this correctly, at Kasumnas River College, a junior college in Sacramento, California. Forgive me if I, if I butchered that. Uh, he finished his playing career at Sonoma State which is a Division II school in Ronert Park, California. Again, another town that I, I might have mispronounced, and I am so sorry for uh, just for that if I did. He started his coaching career in 1997 and 98, where he spent two seasons coaching at Eastern Kentucky University, a Division I school in Richmond, Kentucky. At EKU, he was the pitching coach recruiting coordinator, and while he was there, he also got his master's degree in physical education. He was then hired at Sac City in August of 1998, where he has been since. In his time there, he's had more than 50 pitchers, just pitchers, who have gone on to transfer to NCAA Division I schools. He's had 18 former pitchers sign pro contracts, five big leaguers just from Sac City. Pretty amazing. At Sac City, he's also a full-time instructor where he teaches uh, classes in fitness, mental skills, and health. He has spent time coaching in the Cape Cod League, uh, one of the most, if not the most, prestigious uh, collegiate summer league in the country. He also spent three seasons evaluating and helping to select USA Baseball's 18U national team. Coach Bomber, sincerely appreciate being on the podcast with us today. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. I appreciate it. I hope it's okay that I call you Coach Bomber. I feel uncomfortable sometimes doing it, but with people I don't know, no, 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 calling them nicknames. No, feel free. But, uh, no, feel free. <laughs> Um, you know, typically, Coach, I like to start with something from the bio that stands out. Uh, for you, there are a lot of places, I think, that would be a good place to start. But honestly, I would just like to ask about your tenure, basically, at Sac City. You don't see guys that stay at, in one place very often for as long as you've stayed at Sac City. What about the setup there? What about the school, the team, and everything else has has kept you there and has kept you from moving on with all this success. I'm sure you've had other uh, options throughout the years. Uh, what exactly has kept you there? Uh, you know, I think there's a few. There's a few reasons. Uh, number one, I mean, you, you can't. You'd be you have a really hard time finding a better work environment um, than what I have. Uh, I'm in a really. Uh, good place from the standpoint of I have basically complete autonomy um, I can do pretty much what I want when I want how much of what I want um, and so obviously after doing that for several years you, you grow accustomed to that um, and if you know if I were to leave I may not have that anymore um and so that's always been part of um, part of why I've stayed. Um, when you look at the 
college baseball landscape, and you look at tradition, and you look at history, uh, you have a hard time finding a more successful college baseball program anywhere in the country at any level. Um, and that's not to say that we're the best. I'm not saying that at all. But if you start comparing, you know, win-loss record over the last, well, we've almost been playing for 100 years now, uh, we're going to be really close to the top. Uh, the junior college level is so much different than the Division One level <clears throat> from the standpoint of the amount of time you get to spend with your players. And we have, I don't want to say it's an unlimited amount of time, but it's pretty close. Um, we can really get in deep with the coaching. Um, we can really get in deep with the relationships. And, you know, that would be something to be really difficult to give up. And it's not, you know, and I don't say that like Division One schools and Division Two schools, and, but they're not coaching and that they're not coaching hard. But they also have a bunch of rules that limit what they're able to do. And we don't have those restrictions. So when we're trying to help a player develop, um, we just have more time. We have more opportunities. Um, and we can really put our focus into developing people, developing players, um, without, you know, necessarily worrying about winning and losing. And trust me, uh, you know, we want to win as much as anyone anywhere. But at the same time, if we don't win, none of us are getting fired. <laughs> that's, that's the beauty of, uh, California junior college baseball is that you know, your coaches are either volunteers, you know, who you're not going to fire, or they are faculty members. And, you know, we have tenure. So they really can't be fired. I mean, so the, the security of it um, is a big part. Um, you know, there have been other opportunities. There have been some D1 opportunities that I just didn't think were right at the time. They weren't really what I wanted. Um, I've had in the last oh, five or six years, I guess, uh, I've had interest from major league organizations. Um, you know, some of those jobs I just didn't get, obviously. Um, some of them... After talking with them, I didn't want. Um, they just they just didn't seem right for you know what I wanted as far as my life and you know my lifestyle. Uh, ultimately, you know any job I take, if I if I were to leave, would have to be done in the best interest of uh, my wife and daughter. Um, you know. If it was just me, if I was single and didn't have any responsibilities, it would probably be a different conversation. Um, but that's not the way it is. Uh, they are priority one, and you know, if something were to come up that uh, we all agreed was the best thing for all of us, then you know, something might change. But I don't know if that's going to happen. And if it doesn't, I I'm okay with it. You know, I, I don't. Uh, would I like to do it? 
yeah, I think it'd be kind of cool to see what I could do at a higher level. Um, but, you know, my ego doesn't need me to tell people that I'm a Division One coach. My ego doesn't need me to tell people that I coach in professional baseball. Um, because ultimately my goal is to help as many players as possible and help them in any way I can. And so, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't have to be professionals. It doesn't have to be Division One players. Um, it's just people in general, you know. And, and the other reason that I haven't really left is I like living here. I, I, you know, I always joke that Sacramento is one of the more boring places to visit, but it's a pretty good place to live. Um, you know, my, my friends and family have a pretty small family, um, but they're here. Um, my wife's parents are here. Her sister is here. Um, we have a great support system here. So, you know, uh, another college job would have to be life-changing um, to give that up. And if it happened to be professional baseball, it would have to be a situation where I wouldn't have to move because that's come up too um, in these conversations that I've had where, you know, teams have wanted part of the expectation would be moving to the spring training site, you know, so you could be there in the off season. And um, I just don't think that that's something I would at this point in my life, probably not willing to do. All of that is rare. I think, and, and not that one thing is right or, or the other thing is right, but, but people, you know, there aren't, I don't think that many coaches, especially who are this successful, who don't, you know, prioritize moving up, going to a different level, or because of again, because of your ego, or or just wanting to see what you can what you can do, just trying different levels or trying something else out. And personally, I really I respect it a lot. For for people that listen to this podcast, they've probably heard before that that I've made some similar decisions in my life not necessarily in well since I left college baseball most of my decisions when I from when I decided to leave until where I am right now have been because of my wife and kids and and uh, and my family and trying to put them in in the best situation that they can be in despite the fact that I might not be doing exactly you know what I love to do day to day at least you're still getting a chance to coach and have an impact at uh, at, a, at a very high level of baseball I don't know that people, really give junior college baseball enough credit i think that for people that maybe that aren't of course there are a lot of people that are familiar because they either live in an area with a great team or uh, or whatever it may be they maybe they've had family members that have played in junior college baseball but for areas of the country or just individuals that aren't that familiar they might even hear your bio with the 18 guys that have signed pro contracts and five major leaguers and think well they probably have a couple really good players on their team and probably have a lot of other players that that like couldn't play anywhere else and just didn't quite have the ability and uh and I've we've talked about this on some other podcasts before too but I'd like you to to maybe just discuss that a little bit exactly the the caliber of player that you've got on your team from top to bottom maybe how many guys you carry and and what you know what your number one looks like compared to the guy that's going to get 10 innings this spring and, and maybe give people an idea of exactly what the talent level is from top to bottom, uh, maybe dispelling the thought, the notion that, that maybe junior college baseball is good, is, is good, but it's top heavy and the bottom half of it is, you know, guys that, that just struggle or might not have another opportunity to play anywhere. Well, if you look at 
So to give you an, an, an idea, if you look at what our what our team this year will look like, and, I, and I'll, I'll kind of combine it with our team last year as well, but start with our 2020 team to give you an idea, because obviously it's 2020, 2021, and really for the, the listeners who don't know what's going on in, with California JSC baseball, we haven't practiced yet, um, and I don't know when we will. Hopefully, here in the next couple of weeks, we are going to we're supposed to be able to get back on the field. But if you look at our twenty twenty team, um, our number one starter is a kid named was a kid named Ryan Costu, who's now pitching at the University of Arkansas. Uh, our number two starter was a freshman who's back. His name's Dennis Boatman, and uh, he was originally at UCLA, and he's Fastball Velo, 93 to 96. Uh, our number three starter uh, is now at Campbell University, and he was 89 and 92. If you look at our first two guys out of the bullpen last year, they were both, uh, well, I take that back. We have a, a soft-throwing left-handed that pitches basically every day. Uh, but we had two right-handed pitchers who were 89 to 92 coming out of the bullpen. Um, and our uh, thir- a third bullpen guy who actually outperformed the other two, who was you know eighty eight to ninety. Um, our shortstop from last year is at the University of Arizona. <clears throat> our first baseman from last year uh, is at St. John's. Um, our catcher DH from last year is committed to Oregon State. Uh, our uh, other catcher from last year. Uh, has committed to uh, Radford. Uh, a backup infielder from last year uh, is committed to Illinois State for 2022. So, I mean, California JC baseball is as good as you're going to get anywhere. Um, you know, we, especially in our conference, I would say, if you looked at the state as a whole, um, our conference is it's either the best conference in the state or it's the second best um, it would be between us or the Orange Empire which is in Southern California um, you know our state tournament is is four teams and it's the last the last two state tournaments that were held the two teams were from Northern California were from our conference um so when you you know you look at, I would say just about every team in our league has future Division One players on it, on their on their roster. Um, you know, California obviously is a huge state. It's a lot of people, um, a lot of people that play baseball. We have great weather. You can play all year round, and there are only so many, you know, Division One roster spots available. Um, so the the level of competition um, is really good, and our roster is we we've always carried a lot of players going back into the eighties um, when Jerry Weinstein first got it rolling. I mean, he would have in the fall a hundred, hundred and ten guys, um, which. We don't do that anymore, but we still will have, you know, in the fall, it's not uncommon to have 65 players come out. 
And again, California JC baseball is different in that all your fall practice is based on um, a baseball class that's open to the general public. So anyone who wants to try out can. Um, they may not last very long, but anyone who wants to can. Um, in the spring, we still carry a lot of players. Uh, and we're able to do that because we have a lot of space for one. So physically, we can put guys all over the place, and they're still able to get their work in. Um, we have a lot of coaches, um, so we have the manpower to make it work. Um, our athletic department doesn't limit how many um, guys we have on the roster. Uh, there's no state limit as to how many guys you can have on the roster. So uh, we've always felt that if, and this again, this is a, a this is just a traditional thing that goes back. We're going on 40 years here. Um, if guys want to be part of the program and they're willing to do the things that need to be done to be on the team um, and they want to contribute and they're good people, then we're going to keep them around. Like we have, you know, we don't cut players, um, you know, based on their ability. Guys may not make good choices. Uh, they might be awful students or, you know, things like that. But if you're willing to do the things that need to be done and you're a good person and you buy into the culture of our program, then, you know, we're going to keep you around for a long time. And a lot of those guys, you know, over the course of you know, two years for most of them, but obviously we have guys in red shirt in and, and that third year, you do find diamonds in the rough all the time. You know, guys who in other programs may have been cut um, end up being contributing players for us. Some of them go, have gone on to play professionally. So, you know, we've always felt from a, a cultural standpoint in our program that providing access to as many players as possible is the way we want to do things. I think that's – I don't know that I've heard a lot of teams, a lot of coaches that – have had that philosophy just they're not going to cut based on skills um you know i think everyone is in the same boat with you know guy that's got bad grades or a guy that's an issue on the team he's not going to last long but i don't think there are any very many programs out there who are willing to keep players who, who don't have the physical skill to compete with the other guys around them but you'll keep them just because if they're willing to put in the work you'll keep them and, and maybe you find something out of them at some point um that's that's rare, and I and I love that. I, I like it's it's cool to hear that, and cool to hear that some guys have have worked out, especially guys that are that stick around for a third year. Um, after two years of probably going through a lot of a lot of crap without much to show for it, that's pretty impressive. Um, I think the, the the thing that makes it possible is just <clears throat> the willingness to have some difficult conversations with guys and. You know, sit them down and go, look, you can definitely be a part of this team. You can definitely be a part of this program, but, but you may not get on the field. You may not, you know, you might get 10 at bats this year. Um, and it's going to be hard, you know, but, but if you are up for that, you know, if you're up for the idea, if you're going to just put in all this time and effort um, and not 
get much playing time out of it and you're okay with that, then we're okay with you being there. You know, and, and you know, guys, some, they're, to be honest, some guys go, you know, I don't, I don't think this is what I want. I don't want to do that. Um, and they'll, they'll go somewhere else. Um, and, you know, that's okay. It's, if that's what's, they think that's what's best, then, then they should do that. Uh, because ultimately, you know, this is not a cliche, but I, I, I feel very strongly that in our program, we really are concerned with the player and their development and who they're going to be um, a lot more than who they are as baseball players. When you're evaluating that, Coach, just the part of just what kind of people these guys are that you have, how do you do that? Because obviously you don't you don't see a lot of these players until they show up on campus. When I, I say that you, uh, when I say that I mean you you don't you don't get to spend that much time around the guys before they're on campus for the most part. Are you just are you evaluating them at practice? Are you evaluating how they are? You know, with their teammates uh, when they're eating lunch. Like, are you getting feedback from professors? H- how are you going about just kind of finding the the people that are the right types of people for the program? That you um, want to stick I think it's all of that. I mean, all those things you mentioned are important. Um, you know, if if guys do well in the classroom, um, when they're in the weight room, you know. What does our strength coach think about them in the weight room? Uh, when they're in study hall, what do they like in study hall? Um, when they when they go see their their peer or mentor, um, you know, what do they like? Are they going? I mean, are they making all their appointments? When they have an appointment with our counselor, do they make the appointment? Um, what do they like when they're not playing? What do they like in practice? Um, what do the other players think about them? You know, obviously, you're going to have players on your program who represent everything that you want um, from your program, from your players, right? The players that you, you trust the most, you know, the players that you would um, let house sit, you know, when you're out of town. Uh, you have those players, and I think a lot of the time you have to lean on those guys, too, uh, because those guys see what everyone's like away from the field. We have, you know, we, we think that we know players because we're around them so much, but we don't know them nearly as well as we think. We don't know what they're like, you know, on weekends away from practice and away from the school. Um, we don't know how they treat people away from school. Um, because obviously when you're in the practice environment, the game environment, the team environment, you're going to have, a, a, most guys, uh, a set of behaviors that you're going to have that make it easier to fit in, right? Some guys don't. Some guys just don't care, and that's okay, too. You know, some guys are just themselves, and, and that's what they're going to be. But, you know, I think you can be fooled sometimes into how guys act around your facility compared to how they act in normal life. And I think uh, relying on other players um, 
is really important as well as part of that evaluation. At the end of the fall, we do a we do a peer review, and it's um, it's pretty brutal, and because of its honesty, um, you know, we there's actually a question in our peer review that asks if you could get rid of a player, who would it be? Wow. And we ask who who just does not fit in the program. Um, you know, and that, 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 that doesn't make the decision for us, um, but that's also part of that hard conversation where you sit a guy down and go, look, man, here's the deal. You know, this, this, and this, but your teammates can't stand you. And, you know, like, why is that? Why is it that seven guys said that you shouldn't be on our team? You know, and um, so that kind of, you know, that's part of the decision-making process. Um, but I think, you know, I, I heard um, two years ago, I heard Derek Johnson talking about what big league players are like and big league pitchers and, and this makes perfect sense, but you know, I, I've never really thought of it this way. He said, the way players behave in their normal life away from the field is the way that they will eventually perform on the field. And I think there's, you know, so much truth to that. Um, and if you just go back and look at players you've coached, you probably can start going, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense now. And I think of, you know, these players, you know, we don't need to name any guys, but um, so that, you know, that stuff is so critical to maintaining the culture of your program, um, which to us is like the ultimate priority above and beyond anything else. Um, you know, we, we've, like I mentioned earlier, we've been playing baseball since 1923, I believe. Uh, and we have established some traditions and a culture that we're really not willing to budge on. Um, and if guys aren't willing to be a part of that, then there may not be a place for them. Can you go back and talk about just what Derek Johnson said? He's the pitching coach for the Reds right now, by the way. Um, people that are listening. Yeah, he was, so he was, you know, this was when he had first spheres back and he just got the job Brewers and just talking and he was, you know, asking him about what it's like to coach major league players. And I think basically it's not a whole lot different than coaching anywhere else. Um, he said, you got to get to know guys to see what they're like. And he said, you know, you, you hope that what they do away from the field is, is good. He said, because the way that players act away from the field is going to eventually be the way they perform on the field. So if away from the field, you know, obviously they're making bad choices, they don't do things that are great for them, you know, they're kind of all over the place and they're unpredictable away from the field, then eventually when they get on the field, they're going to make bad choices and they're going to be unpredictable when they're on the field. So his whole point was just trying to get guys to just be well-rounded people in all aspects of their life. That was kind of his, the, the gist of his message. And he said it was no different than um, what you would do with college guys. 
Very interesting. I want to go back and ask you about something that you mentioned a while back that I wrote a note about that I think is worth talking about, that you've got a soft-throwing lefty on your team right now who, who throws nearly every day. Um, with with a, you know, You've been a pitching coach for a long, long time. Your, your background is in physical education. Obviously, it's something you pay a lot of attention to. And, and we, you know, with um, the state that baseball is in right now, it's it is very it's uncommon for guys to throw a lot. It's uncommon for major league relievers to throw more than like two days in a row. Um, you know, college guys typically will get you know x amount of time off depending on how many innings they just threw it. And it's not not atypical in college for a guy to throw a, you know more than one relief inning. Whereas in the big leagues, you see more like a you know one inning guys at a time. Whereas in college, you might bring a reliever in and he throws two or three innings. With this pitcher that you've got on your staff right now. Um, Health-wise, just curious how um, decisions are made with him that that make him a guy that that can throw nearly every day. Is it because the velo is not that good that his his arm just bounces back better, or is it just some guys are that's their physical makeup and they're they're able to do that? Is at any point at any point does that uh, worry you as a pitching coach that that's going to cause some some injuries? And I'm asking this with. You know, keeping like high school coaches in mind, or other college coaches, maybe a young college pitching coach that's listening to this. Um, you know, when when how do you know that it's okay to to for some relievers to throw a lot, you know, very regularly in games, whereas other guys are going to need more rest in between? Just curious about that with this particular pitcher, especially. Well, I think in in, in Christian's case. Um Him not being a super hard thrower probably helps. Um, you know, we we work really, really hard um, to help build strong, healthy arms, um, and then maintain those arms. Um, we do a lot of recovery work uh, every day, um, and so he is. You know. He is a rarity. He's, he's definitely the exception to the rule. Um, but ultimately, with Christian, is that I trust him completely to tell me the truth. And I think that's really a really important thing. Um, if he doesn't think he can throw, then he's going to tell me. And if he thinks that he's okay, then he, we're going to make sure that he's available. Now, just because he's available doesn't mean we'll we'll use him because we have to be smart too. Um, you know, I, I think where a lot of like the sports performance science is heading is really understanding the condition of the athlete. They might feel okay physically, but science will tell you that their physical readiness may not match up with how they, their opinion of how ready they are. Because really, that's what it is when a player is making that decision. Um, it's an educated opinion, right? It's not just a, a guess. Um, but, you know, I think that uh, as coaches, we have to be smart enough as well. You know, okay, well, this guy's pitched in three out of the last four games. Um, we're going to give him the week off. And ordinarily, I will go to a guy like this, and I will tell him before the week starts, like, hey, man, uh, 
you're not pitching this week. No matter what happens, you are not getting in a game this week. And, you know, if we lose on the Tuesday because you don't pitch, then that's fine. Um, we can live with that. Um, because, you know, it's very rare to go to a, a, a relief pitcher and have him say, yeah, yeah, I don't think I can pitch today. <clears throat> so, as coaches, I think we have to be responsible and, and say, yeah, you're probably right. Um, or, or, or go, hey, you know, you're not pitching. I don't care how you feel or how you think you feel. Um, and the other thing that, you know, that I personally try to do is just watch them before the game. Watch them at practice. Like, what are you seeing with your own eyes? Right? Is, does it appear that they're laboring a little bit when they're playing catch? Uh, are they shutting down their throwing program early? Um, you know, those were, to me, those were all red flags. Um, did he immediately run over to the training room, you know, after practice? Um, so, I mean, I think that there are a lot of different ways to look at it. Uh, I think the other thing, too, that's really important, and I think we, we do, we try to do a really good job of this, and I can't say it always works. I think this is important. When you crank a guy up to get him ready to go into a game and he's 100% and he's all, you know, he's all lathered up and game ready, you have to put him in the game. Because it's in our heads and it's not, it's not smart. Um, but in our heads, I think a lot of times we do that. You survive the inning, the game ends, he doesn't go in. And in our minds, we're kind of going, Oh, well, he didn't pitch yesterday. Um, he should be fine tomorrow because he didn't pitch in the game. And that, that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, are the bullpen pitches as stressful? Obviously not. Do they take a physical toll? Absolutely. 100%. Um, but I think that's something else to consider too is when you have, like, in this case, the kid we're talking about, he runs down to the bullpen, he's ready to go in the game in like 10 throws. And I don't even mean like 10 down to a catcher. Like he throws the ball 10 times. By the time you take a trip to the mound, tell the umpire changing pitches, he gets his eight warm-ups, I mean, he's ready, right? But if you have a guy who needs to throw 25 times and 15 of those are down to the catcher, well, that's different too, right? That's that's more work. So I think it's really critical to monitor the workload for a guy who's going to pitch often. Um because not out, not every outing is going to be the same, right? If he pitches on Tuesday and he throws eight pitches to get out of the inning and the game's over, well, obviously Thursday he's probably going to be okay. But, you know, if he pitches on Tuesday and it's more of a struggle and he's got to throw 30 pitches to get out of the inning, well, then Thursday may not be an option because the workload was so much more demanding. The stress of the inning was probably a lot more demanding. And, you know, we're learning now that, that that psychological stress that comes with those tough outings has an impact on our physical being. And so uh, you have to look at not only when did he pitch last, what was the outing like, how many times did he get hot before he went in the game, 
and then how much mental energy did he have to use to get through that outing, right? A one, two, three inning, you know, punch out, ground ball, and a strikeout, no big deal, right? Didn't, didn't, no mental energy was really expended there. But, you know, leadoff walk, error, you know, pop up, like first, second one out, uh, base hit, double play, whatever, you know, you extend that inning, and, and now all of a sudden, psychologically, he's going to be more taxed. And that's going to impact his overall health for the next time he's on the mound. How much communication do you have with your players um, on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, like you kind of just mentioned, going into a game, going into a week? How much do you communicate with the players and say, or just kind of let them know who's available today and who's not, what your week might look like? Um, do you communicate with guys uh, in depth, like saying, like, hey, today in this game, like if you know if if the starter only lasts like you know three innings, you're probably the first guy we go to. Uh, you know, other days, do you, do you say to guys like, hey, if we have a lead in the seventh inning, you know, you're you're one of the guys we'll we'll be looking at. Like, do you try to prepare your your pitchers for not only like what days they're available, but also maybe what situations they might be brought into. Do you feel like that's beneficial, or, or how much how much communication do you try to have with your players in regards to that sort of thing? I let them know <clears throat> everything I can. Um, I'll sit down before a game, and I'll play out a few scenarios in my head about what I think could happen in that game, and I will have pitchers in mind for all of those scenarios, right? Um, you know, early in the game, and the starter is struggling, but we have a five-run lead, right? That's one scenario. Early in the game, we're down five. That's a different one. Early in the game, it's close. That's another one. You know, and then just you add on an inning or two to each of those scenarios and kind of put together a game plan of who you would want to use, um, in what situation. Um, and I have no problem telling guys before the game, hey, look, this is what I think, this is where I think you could fit in. Um, this spot, this situation, um, this hitter. And I'll even, you know, I'll tell you, I say, look, you know, you're, you're probably going to pitch if we have a lead. Um, before the seventh inning, if this is where you'll probably go in. Um, and, you know, that'll get updated throughout the course of the game, too. You know, um, go to guys and say, look, uh, your window is kind of closed now, so why don't you go throw a bullpen to get ready for Thursday? Um, and, you know, go to another guy, like, okay, your, your chance is coming up here. Make sure you have a ball. Make sure you get you know your gloves nearby. Go, you know, jog down the cages and back. Get another round of tubing, tubing in, and start thinking about pitching. <clears throat> um, yeah, we we're very very <clears throat> transparent when it comes to that um, because being a reliever is hard enough as it is. But being a reliever when you never have any idea when you're going into the game is even tougher. Um, so 
we try to give guys uh, an idea of what's going to happen. Um, but at the same time, you know, you always have to have like the crazy emergency backup plan too, right? That uh, for those 14, 15 inning games that, you know, come out of nowhere or, uh, you know, all of a sudden you've got a huge lead and um, you don't want to use your better guys, right? Because you have a huge lead or you're way behind. You don't want to use your better guys, so that changes things. I mean, we had had a situation, uh, it's been a few years now. We went down and played Fresno City College, played a doubleheader on a Friday. Um, And we weren't expecting to play the next day because of rain. Well, it didn't rain. So uh, Saturday, we played a 21-inning game after playing two nines the day before. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And we had a freshman reliever who was really good for us, and he came in late in the second game of the doubleheader, and I believe they walked it off on him, you know. And so didn't throw very many pitches. So we get into this 21-inning game, and we're running out of pitchers. And in my head, I did not want to pitch that kid again because we're on the road. I didn't want to pitch him again, not because of health. I didn't want him to lose two games in 24 hours. <laughs> that was, that was my, my main objective. But, you know, here we are in the 17th, 17th inning of a game or whatever it was. I'm like, well, um, he has to pitch now or we're going to pitch our shortstop. Um, so, luckily, he went out, he pitched, pitched well. We ended up scoring like a five spot in the 21st or something crazy and, and won the game. So, you know, you always have to have, like, a contingency plan and then a contingency plan for the contingency plan. I mean, it's just, it's so unpredictable um, that you, you just have to think so far, you have to try to think so far in advance and, and try to have every possible option covered, which, you know, again, that's imperfect, but you just got to try to do what you can. That was my first thought when you said about uh, a pitcher whose window might have closed for today. Go ahead and throw a bullpen. That was my my first thought was panic that if this game goes extra innings or something crazy happens that that guy won't be available anymore. Um, uh, we've pulled the guy out of the stands who was charting <laughs> to, to put his uniform on. That's why it happened twice in, in 23 years. But and he didn't go in the game. But it was like, hey, this is getting kind of weird here, and I know that you weren't supposed to pitch today, uh, but <laughs> why don't you find your uniform and your spikes and just stay in here for now? <laughs> okay, so, so Coach, I'm a, I'm a relief pitcher on your team. I'm not a pitching guy. I don't have a pitching background, so this is always interesting conversation to me. I'm a relief pitcher. Um, you know, every day I, 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 don't, I don't start games. I'm typically relieving. What in today's game day? What should I be doing on game day to get myself ready? Uh, you know, n- normal normal catch and throw at the same time as everybody else, or later? Should I be should I be throwing long toss? Um, you know, and then and then during the game, I, I guess anything that you want me to do to be prepared. Like if I'm a, just a relief pitcher and we have a game today, what physically? How am I? How do you want me to be 
to get prepared today? What's the best thing to do to not like overextend myself? Uh, you know, I, one of the things I just always thought of as a coach, and again, I'm not a pitching coach, is like it just it was strange for me to see relief pitchers like get a good a, a good catch play and a good long toss in. Like if they might pitch today, thinking like, well, they're going to get they're getting hot now, they might have to get it hot hot again later. Like, is that just talk me through just what a relief pitcher should do on a game day? Best thing and, and you know how to get ready and why that might be the best way to get ready for the day. Well, I think for us, and I know that in professional baseball, there there's been a lot of debate in the last few years about this. Um, I I prefer our guys to throw early in the day, and the reason for that, and again, this again, this is the philosophical thing. This is not necessarily science based, because I'm sure that there's. Some sports, some sports scientists that will tell me that I'm crazy, but in my mind, every day is a practice day, whether you're playing a game or not. Uh, it's a day to improve, <clears throat> and so with that thought, if I'm a relief pitcher and on game day, I'm not throwing a whole lot. Um, I'm not doing a lot of flat ground work on my game days because I might pitch later. Um, you're limiting your opportunities to improve. You know, again, we look at thing we look at things a lot differently than other programs. I look at things a lot differently than other coaches. To me, everything that we do in our program is designed to help guys for where they're going to be next. So going back to what I said earlier, as much as we want to win, we want guys to develop more than that. So if guys are only having good throwing days on non-game days, it really limits the opportunity to improve. Now, everyone is going to handle that a little bit differently. Um, Everyone is going to have a different routine before a game, um, and I know the the thought. I know where you're, the thought is like, okay, well, you know, if I'm going to pitch at four o'clock while they're playing catch at twelve, and I trust, I get it, I really do. Um, but I also think that the way we do things in the fall is basically like that, right? If you think about your fall scrimmages, um, at least you know for most places that I know of. In fall practice, everyone plays catch together, right? That's that's not uncommon. And then you have a couple hours that go by, right, because of other parts of practice. And then, okay, now it's scrimmage time. So now you end up in the same situation that you just described where I played catch three hours ago, and now I'm going into the game, right? And so because you've already done it, you know, for months in the fall, um, I think that your body is probably still prepared for that. Um, and also, you look at, I think this is too an important concept to look at. In your postseason, right, and this is part of why we do it, in your postseason, you never know what's going to happen, right? Like, this, our schedules can get really weird. 
you might have to play a doubleheader that you weren't expecting to play um, in the state tournament. You might play a game at 11 o'clock, win that game, go back to your hotel for four hours, and then come back and play a night game, right? So all these things can happen. Well, can you imagine if you ever <clears throat> had a situation where you had to throw four or five hours earlier and then go into a game? You've never done that before until a state tournament. Like, that would be a really hard thing to try to do. So part of it is getting guys prepared for that situation. But I really feel like if guys are not throwing, like a real throwing program, as often as possible, I think they're just limiting themselves as far as how much improvement they're going to have. So let's say you're, you know, you're slotted to pitch on a Tuesday, but for whatever reason, guy goes complete game or whatever, and you haven't thrown yet, right? So now all of a sudden you're just not throwing that Tuesday, or you're not long tossing that Tuesday, and you're not getting your flat run in that Tuesday. It's just the day that. You know, you, you didn't have a chance to improve. So that's why we still, you know, our guys throw early in the day, so they have as much time as they need to do the work that they feel they need for that day. Um, and obviously, you know, it's it's going to be a little bit different depending on who they are and how they feel and the last time they threw and the likelihood of when they're going to throw. Um, so everyone's going to be a little bit different. You know, to get back to your original question, like I want guys throwing together early on so that they have time to get the work in that they need to do. Now, during the course of the game, um, you know, I want our relievers moving around. Um, I don't want them just sitting around the dugout. I want them getting up every every inning, um, whether that's running down to the bullpen. You know, we, we keep in our bullpen. We have <clears throat> sets of J-bands. Um, connected to the fence all the time. There's always a set of um, weighted balls in the bullpen. There's always a shoulder, at least one shoulder tube in the bullpen. Um, and like I said, there are times where, like, we know a certain guy is going to be going into the game soon, and we can give him a heads up. You know, like, all right, hey, look, you know, it looks like it's the fifth inning, and you know, starters at this many pitches. We're going to try to squeeze one more out of them. Um, when he goes back out in the sixth, go start throwing. Um, don't be in a hurry and just watch the game, right? If it looks like he's going to survive the sixth, um, then you're pitching the seventh. And, you know, I'll tell the guy, hey, look, if I take a trip in the sixth inning, you need to make sure that you're like five pitches away from going in the game because something bad has happened. And we're, you know, our original plan is, is not going to work. Um, so, you know, I don't think there's a perfect way to do it. I really don't. And I don't know that there's necessarily a bad way. I think because our guys have do it that way all the time, I think that it's, you know, fairly common thing. And if you just look at, you know, you look at, um, how they play, you know, in high school and their travel teams and stuff. I mean, how often are they are they playing double headers where they're getting loose before the first game, right? And then they're going to pitch the seventh inning of game two. You know, so it's not like it's completely unheard of for guys to, you know, get loose 
four hours or five hours before they actually get into a game. And I, and I get, I, I do get the other side. I really do. I just, for me personally, um, I'm not ready for that just yet. To, just to have them not throw uh, before they're getting ready to actually go in the game. What about? Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No. What about starters? Um, on on game day, what does? Can you just walk me through what a, what a pregame looks like for a starter? Like how much? How much throwing uh, to get loose? Do you like guys to get a good long toss in on on the day they're going to start? And then how uh, you know how much? How many pitches typically are guys throwing in a bullpen? In any particular sequence, do you like them to establish like when they get into the bullpen today? Do you want them to to establish a fastball before they throw anything else? Or are they kind of mixing everything in and just kind of seeing what feels good that day? Just kind of curious about pregame. Uh, what you have guys do on the for starting pitchers? Um, so on game days for starters, I'm I'm open to just about anything uh, because it's not my day. Uh, I'm I'm there, you know. Really on game day, for I'm just there as a fan, you know, for the most part. Uh, but for our starters. Um, I'll give them kind of a window of when they should start stretching, when they should start their dynamic warm-up. If they need to go to the training room, um, I'll let them know, you know, roughly when they should go. Um, And I I will always, I will have an idea, usually a pretty good idea, of what it is they like to do before the game just again because we have these conversations um, you know going into it and you have to be careful you know because most guys don't really know what they need to do before they start and so you look down and you know you're, the game starts in an hour and guys are already long tossing like that's just not going to work uh, so I give them kind of a window and to start what it is they're going to do. And usually, you know, that window is going to be determined by what it is they like to do. You know, how, what, what parts of the warm-up they're going to do. Do they need to see the trainer as part of their warm-up? Um, what type of um, weighted ball plyo care are they going to do? Um, how long does that take for them? Um, you know, look at, what is the throwing program, the actual throwing program going to look like for them? I will tell you that most of our guys, um, I shouldn't say that. I would say all of our starters will get a real long toss day in, um, on the day they start. And I, I encourage that. I like that. Um, it just gives them a little bit of freedom to, you know, kind of feel things out, see how their body feels. Um, Kind of open up the the shoulder and, and get it going. Um, and again, it's it's so much of what they've done leading up to that, right? Like in practice, I think there's this weird thing in, in baseball specifically where like the things you do in your fall practice, right, is 
it all of a sudden changes when games start. Like, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like, well, you just did that for the last five months. Why do you think now that you have a uniform on that it's any different? Um, so because we, you know, long toss is such a big part of our program at every point of the season, right, starting in fall ball, but I just think that them long tossing four start is is something that I encourage. Like, again, I don't make them. I, I really don't make them do anything, um, but I do encourage it. And so um, they'll go through that part of the throwing program, and then ideally, uh, for on if we're at home, they're on the bullpen mound fifteen minutes before first pitch on the road 10 minutes um, you know I want them enough time to, to get through their bullpen get a drink of water sit down for a few seconds if they need to um, now as far as um, what they're throwing it's usually um, scripted now, that script is not carved in stone, and they have an opportunity to tweak it and adjust it. Um, but it's usually scripted, and it's uh, less, I think it's 28 pitches if they were to follow the script pitch for pitch. Um, and obviously, it starts out with fastballs, and then it goes to change-ups, and then it's a mix of fastballs and change-ups. And then it goes to breaking balls, and then a mix of fastballs and breaking balls. Uh, the reason for the script and kind of taking some control over that is I, you know, being a mental skills guy, <laughs> I don't like superstition. Um, now, there's a big difference between superstition and routine. Those are not the same thing. Superstition is a fear of something that doesn't make any sense, right? Stepping on the foul line doesn't make you strike out as much as we want to <laughs> think that it might. Um, so I don't want guys to like look back at their previous start and go, man, I was really... I was really good last week. I, you know, I threw, I threw five curveballs and three change. I, I don't want them trying to figure that out. So you're basically eliminating one variable for them to think about. Like this is what we're going to do, right? It's going to look like this. You know, it's going to look like this. We can take this off the list of things to worry about. Um, so that's part of why we we script it, um, and then. We try to add in, you know, as much things that can happen in the game as possible. So um, we throw pitch outs um, in our pregame bullpens and all of our bullpens, really. Uh, we throw fastballs to every location that we're going to throw to. Um, we usually will have some pitches that are with some context, like the count. Um, to end with, like two strike type pitches. Um, trying to think about that. But, you know, ordinarily, 
you know, guys know the routine by then, and I don't have to do much. I don't have to say much. Um, I and I, I am probably probably a lot different than most coaches when it comes to this, but I want other pitchers around when guys are getting loose for their bullpens. I want other pitchers around talking and joking with each other. Maybe not the, obviously not the guy getting ready um, because like, I think we have this idea that you know, like the bullpen area needs to be sacred and quiet and no one should talk and like this pitcher just needs to be focused and don't bother him. Well, I can tell you that in a real in a game, that doesn't exist. Like that doesn't happen ever. Right? So here we we're trying to create this environment that is not realistic. It doesn't match the task. You know, getting a guy to pitch without any distractions in the bullpen and then expecting to go beat a good team where they're yelling and screaming at him before he throws the first pitch isn't realistic, right? So, you know, why are we going to create this sanitary environment in the bullpen before the game when he's got to go out there and, you know, a brutal, extremely competitive environment, you know, in 15 minutes. So, you know, there's, there's a lot going on. I don't mind that there's a lot going on. Um, you know, I, I want guys to be mentally prepared for what's about to happen. Do you have starters throw from the from the windup and the stretch before the game? Yeah, it's half and half. What about what about on the mound when they're throwing their their first pitches before the first inning? Do you have guys throw from the stretch out there as well? Their last two pitches before they throw it down are usually from the stretch. Interesting. Um, one of the last things I. <laughs> I still have so many things I'd like to ask you, but I know it's been going for about an hour here. Uh, but one, the next question I'll, I'll ask, I guess we'll see how long this goes. How do you get pitchers to accept their role on the team? So we've had a good discussion about, about pitchers and different pitchers in different roles, and there's all, there is that guy on every team that is going to be like, Starters getting blown out in the second inning, and and you've got to have a guy that's it's like ten to nothing in the second inning, and like there's a guy for that. There's a, there's a guy who's that's his role. He's going to hopefully come in and throw four innings there or whatever, and have kind of a long relief outing. But he's not going to pitch in games necess- normally necessarily that you have a chance to win. He's going to be like mop up type duty. You know, there's the guy that that you mentioned that um, you know that maybe the game is close and like the eighth inning and you don't expect to have to use you expect to have to use your better guys not your down the line guys but in the top of the eighth you know you guys score seven runs and all of a sudden instead of being like you know three to two it's now ten to two and now you kind of again go to this I don't know what you want to call him but but the guy who's going to pitch either when the starter gets blown out and you just need someone to cover innings or all the it's late in the game all of a sudden and and you've got a big lead and you don't want to use your your quote unquote your dudes. You don't want to use your normal like you know, late inning relievers. How how do you get guys in your team to accept their role and to be the best that they can be in that role? And I and I wanted to talk about the mental skills side with you. I don't know that we'll have the time, but this certainly plays into the mental skills side of things. How do you get guys to accept their roles? It's pretty easy for a guy to get to uh 
you know, to accept the role of being a number one, number two starter. Usually closers are guys that really like their roles. And, and I don't think the, you know, sort of what the, what Major League Baseball will call like setup guys. I don't think, you know, they usually have issues with their roles, but there's a lot of other guys on the team that they're going to pitch from time to time and, and, and not in those major roles. How, what's the conversation you're having with those players, uh, coach to, to get them to not only accept it, but to try to excel in that role and, and, and hopefully have some success in that role that might not be as important on paper, but you and I both know that if a guy's pitching in any, in any scenario, it's, it's important in one way or another, even if the importance is, Hey, you've got to come in and eat up some innings here so that we can save other guys that need to be saved for a closer game. That's still important, whether or not it feels oh, yeah. important we, to the guy. You know, we, uh, we look at it from the, one, going back to what we talked about earlier, like you need to have these conversations early on, right? They, these, they, and these are not easy conversations. Every guy you have at some point was a starter, you know, and was the guy, right? And so now all of a sudden, that's not the case. And so we, we, you know, we, we start prepping guys, not individually, but as a group. Um, early on in the fall, like, hey guys, look, um, I'm sure you've noticed if you look around, there's a lot of really good players here. There's a lot of really good pitchers here. And the role that you had in the past on your high school team, um, that may not exist for you here, right? You may be the guy who is the fifth infant. Um, you may be the guy who, uh, is the 10th pitcher. And so, one of the, the message, and I think this is important, everyone on the team has the exact same job. That's to help the team win when the game starts. Now, obviously, that looks completely different for the, the number one starter than it does for your 12th pitcher, right? But their job is exactly the same, um, regardless of role. Help the team win. Now, that 12th pitcher, if he's pitching on Tuesday in a, that blowout situation that you might mentioned, that you mentioned, <clears throat> he might be helping the team win on Thursday. Because on Tuesday, he's going to suck it up for three innings. And in a uh, in a role in a situation he may not love at that time, but if he can do that, and we don't have to burn up two other guys to get through those three innings, he just helped us win. But he just helped us win two days later, and I think that you have to message it that way um, because guys are smart. Like you, you can't. You can't convince a guy like he's one of your main bullpen guys when he only pitches when you're up eight runs. They're not stupid. They know better. And so to like try to, to, to spin it that way doesn't make any sense to me. Um, because I think, you know, we look at it also from the standpoint of, look, if, if, if we're in a, a regional at the end of the year and it's best two out of three, and, you know, let's say that we just get – destroyed game one. Well, there's only one way we're going to win the next two games, and that's to save pitchers 
And so someone, you know, or, or somebody, if some guys are going to have to pitch in that game, we're getting killed and suck it up for us so that we can save guys for games two and three. I think the other thing, too, you have to go back to our original message of every day is a practice day. Every day is a day for you to get better, right? When you go on the mound and there's a hitter in the box, it really doesn't matter if it's if you're winning 10-2 to 2 or you're losing 10-2. to 2. It doesn't matter. Like your job as the pitcher doesn't matter. It doesn't change. Your job when you go in the game is to make pitches. Your job when you go in the game is to figure out a way to get that guy out, regardless of the score. Right? There have been plenty of guys over the last you know twenty plus seasons who started out as that guy who pitched in those roles and got to be so good pitching in those roles that all of a sudden his role changed. Right? Now all of a sudden he's not pitching when it's ten to two, he's pitching when it's three to two. You know, and so it's it's very revealing to me when when guys, you know, don't take their outings seriously and if you're not getting very many of them, you need to take them even more seriously. Regardless of the score. Right? So I think you just need to be very, very clear with guys and you know sometimes it's it's not easy it's not comfortable I have guys come and sit in my office all the time and you know who think they should be pitching more and I listen to them and usually my my first question for them because I'll ask you a question first is who should you be pitching more than of the guys who are pitching more than you who are you better than who should not be pitching so that you could pitch? And when you ask that question, like you just kind of put it back on them. And, and again, it's not a defensive thing. It's just, let me see where your head's at. Because <laughs> you get some, most of the time you get a really good response. Like, yeah, I see where you're coming from. I, I see your point. I, I, I know why you're doing what you're doing. But other times you get these, you get some pretty crazy answers, and um, you know then that's another conversation. Like, there's no way that you're better than those five guys that you just listed. I think it's important too that you have, if that happens, you have some information to back it up, so you're not just going, "Well, I think," you know. If you have some statistical measurements that you feel as a coach are important that have been relayed to the pitchers, not stuff you just cherry-pick, you know, one day and go, well, in this stat, these three guys are all better than you. Um, But you have measurable things that they are aware of um, that you can go, okay, look, well, in these things, these statistics right here, we think these are important, and you're way down here in the rankings in those stats. Uh, That's powerful. That's not... There's no argument at that point. You know, we we keep these stats all through the fall so that when guys have these questions, you know, we do it again in the spring. When guys have these questions, I can just show them. Like, look, these guys are clearly better than you. And that's why you're pitching in the role you're pitching. So it's not easy. It's one of the worst parts of coaching 
um, you know, is being able to, is having to tell somebody you're just not good enough right now. Um, you know, because you, know, you care for them and you spend a lot of time with them and you want what's best for them, but it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do your program any good to just fill their heads with stuff that isn't really true. Because, you know, I mean, they're 18, 19, they're, they're probably living at home with mom and dad, and a lot of times those questions are coming from parents, right? Kids, the players know most of the time, you know, but they're getting hammered from all sorts of different angles about, you know, last year you were the ace of your high school, and now you're the 12th pitcher. Well, yeah, that's what happens, you know. <laughs> when you go to a good program, stuff like that happens. We have everybody's ace. It's amazing how much the players do know, and and how, like when that the peer review that you mentioned early on, that your team does just you know the guys know the players ultimately know and you're right there pressure comes from parents or, or or friends or a girlfriend or or sometimes just guys are just frustrated they don't know what to do about it and they don't maybe think things all the way through before they're willing to have a, a conversation with the coach like hey I should be playing more. Um, and, and they're all they're all great questions, and and the way that you handle these things, all, all the things we've talked about, I think has been there. It's phenomenal. I, I love. That's why I really like talking with pitching coaches, especially because it's not something that that's not my background. And I love hearing from you and kind of the way you handle different situations. And you know, if I have a chance to go back into college, or maybe someday I decide I want to go, you know, take a high school head coaching job again, or something like that. That. Uh, you know, I just I like learning these things. I think it's important, no matter what level people are coaching or, or how they're involved in baseball. Uh, this is Descahe Bomberry, everybody. He's the pitching coach, recruiting coordinator, and the mental skills coach at Sacramento City College, a junior college in Sacramento, California. And coach, I uh, I'm sorry that we didn't get into mental skills today, which is something I, I really it was kind of on my list the whole time of of I wanted to get into that, but it just kind of it just didn't fit in. There were so many other things we were talking about, but. Uh, this has been a tremendous podcast, and, and I want to just put it out there to you that I'd love to have you back for another one because there there are several areas that uh, that I have written down here that I wanted to get into that we didn't, and and with someone of your your knowledge and experience, I'm sure there are are a hundred other things that we could get into. But uh, I sincerely appreciate your time today um, as you. You know, inch closer to your season. I know you have a lot on your plate, but to take to this amount of time out of your day to be with us on this podcast means a lot. So thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. And again, if, if I'll be more than happy to hop on here again with you. Um, you know, with my, I'm sitting in my living room right now teaching class. So as of right now, I have a lot of time on my hands, unfortunately. Um, but I would be more than happy to hop on again. And you know, if you're if your listeners have any uh, specific questions, um, you know, if they want to email me, uh, they want to hop on a Zoom, I'd be more than happy to to make that happen. I had a, you know, I, I was fired up. I had a kid. Um, I guess it was probably in December or January. These D two school in Florida I just emailed me out of the blue and said, "Hey, can I call you and talk about pitching?" <laughs> yes. One hundred percent. Let's do it. Um, so I'm, I'm always willing, and and if someone has questions, um, you know I've been doing this for a while, and I feel I'm at a point now where um, I need to be like helping the young coaches. I need to be giving back to the young coaches because I was very well taken care of um, as a young coach, and I think it's kind of our duty um, 
to give back when we can. Awesome. Awesome all around. How can somebody reach out to you? What's the best way to contact you through social media, via your e- your school email, or, or what's the best Probably way? Probably the school email is the best. That's the one I, I get the quickest. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and, you know, the whole, the whole deal. So um, any of those ways uh, will work. Really outstanding. Thanks again, Coach. I want to wish you the best of luck. I hope you have a chance to play again this spring. But uh, but best of luck with, with whenever you're back on the field again. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it.